Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. Today we have an album that we've already reviewed before, so we're going to do a little intro for it. This is number 55 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Greatest Album list, and it is The Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Mike, did you dust off your lasers? (laughs) My lasers. (laughs) (laughs) Recline and uh, and let the music melt your mind and yeah um, no I didn't I didn't get the time to recline I almost thought I'd hop into the chair and put on my my vinyl of this but uh-huh. I did listen to it today and I got to tell you every time you know we come and we do and if you've listened before you know if it's one we reviewed when we tried to attempt the first list. When we come back, we just do a little intro. But I like to listen to it just to make sure that it's relevant in my brain and that if I loved it that much before, that that feeling is still yeah. the same. And um, yeah, it definitely is. I uh, <laughs> definitely <laughs> feel the same. And even, uh, you know, I was partway through uh, uh, the instrumental Great Gig in the Sky and with Claire Torrey's, uh vocal improvisations there i just saw the hair on my arms standing up again so it's still it still just has that magic for me so um all the feels all the chills i I could talk about dark side any any time of day any day (laughs) of the week uh so um i don't i don't know where you want to start on this one i guess we could start with the ranking change um it was number 43 on the first three iterations of the list and has slid down slightly to number 55. Uh, ben, when you listened to it last time we reviewed it and we had our friend Steve on, it was, I think, new to you in the sense that you hadn't really sat down and listened to the whole thing. Right. And it and it wasn't, um, I think you were a little more challenged by it Uh than Steve and I are, and we, we really, really love it. So it's, has anything changed, or have you listened to it at all in the last year and a half? <laughs> I don't think I've listened to it at all in the last year and a half. Um, you did say that you probably wouldn't. I did say so that I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I, I have lingering, embarrassing thoughts of the looks on your faces when I said, <laughs> you know, it just seems a little dated to me. Um, and... <laughs> I, so one of my uh, go-to uh, radio stations is a, is a satellite radio station on Sirius XM called Classic Vinyl. And whenever a Pink Floyd song comes on, it's often accompanied by the DJ just offering the most glowing, gushing reviews. And then they sort of, then you, they press play and you, you like the soundscape takes over. Um, right. And yeah. it's not the right song for like driving around in the car with the windows rolled down like you know it it requires something of you in a way that most classic rock does not and i think i think that's the the piece for me that i'm realizing um i've never really given it the proper attention it's due 
and partially because I don't think it's affected me in the same way that it has affected you or Steve. I I hear it and I think, Mom, I understand why this is great and why people love it. It's just maybe not my sweet spot. Um, I'm wondering here now with this slight knock from what I think we all admitted 43 felt a little low first time around to bump it down even further to 50 to 55 here now um, kind of goes in the flow with uh, the other British classic rock British artists generally speaking getting bumped down this list the sort of when you think of the the classic rock greats the stereotypical rock greats a lot of them have suffered a similar fate of being nudged down this list yeah um, in favor of more diversity, in favor of more uh, both es- ethnic and and genre diversity, um, right? But uh, but yeah, it's interesting. Gender. Interesting to see it here at fifty five. Um, it's quirky enough that I would have maybe thought that this twenty twenty list would wouldn't knock it down. Like it, it's not just straight, yeah, you know, four four on the hi hat yeah. things <laughs> like that. Um, but but yeah, here we are. Yeah, I, those are some really good points. Um, if albums like Sgt. Pepper's and other Beatles albums and some of the Stones albums are dropping yeah. significantly, then it would only make sense that this would drop in the same way. I guess then my issue is really that ranking on the first list just felt, especially for other things on that list that were much higher yeah. and other similar things that were higher. It was just strange to me that it was that low, uh, especially for kind of the way that that list was created, yep. the impetus of the the late 60s, early 70s rock. The, uh, so, I mean, that it only fell 12 spots is actually not bad. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, it, it, even Peppers like fell over 20 spots, right? right? It was the number one album. Right. So I get that. The other thing is that you said something interesting about, you know, classic rock. And I mean, this is... It gets lumped into that with a lot of other groups that really are more prog rock. And, you know, prog rock in the 60s and 70s, most of the people I talk to who listen to classic rock who have an issue with some bands, uh, those are the bands that they can't really get into, (laughs) like Yes and Genesis and Rush and Pink Floyd. Um, Pink Floyd, I think, did a, you know, it was the psychedelic stuff and then it was the yeah the prog rock and also 70s hard rock they did kind of did a bit of everything but they were always more experimental and as you you also said ben uh the this music and this album in particular and on a lot of their music requires more of you as a yeah. listener uh and it's not straight up and down there's weird time signatures there's weird sounds you know even the the track i talked about uh with claire Torrey's vocal you know it's it's uncomfortable even today i felt a little uncomfortable because it's kind of this wailing you know it's not just singing because the album is expressing all these different emotions and mental illness and all these things and uh alcoholism and drugs and it's all there and it's all being addressed so uh all that to say i think i'm i'm sad it's it's dropped again i'm not surprised i'm 
surprised it didn't drop more. And really, my issue is more with the ranking on the first list. Because I think <laughs> if it had been higher on the first list, it probably would have fallen about the same amount and then would be higher hmm. here. So hmm. uh, to hmm. me, um, with for what it was, for the iconic nature of the music, the staying power on things like the Billboard list, it still holds the record. I think uh, Bob Marley's Legend is creeping up on it, but it holds a record for most consecutive weeks and most total weeks on the Billboard 200. Still pops on and off the list even though it was released almost 50 years ago Um, the album cover is probably one of the most and next to like abbey road and maybe a couple others one of the most iconic album covers of all times there's so many things in pop culture uh, that this has touched on and continues to be popular we listen to classic rock radio at work and they play time every day and money every day and and you'll hear you'll hear it on all sorts of other stations as well whether it be rock or old not oldies but classic rock hard rock uh, vinyl stuff you know it's all there uh it was just a bit of an enigma on the first list that it was so low given what it is how successful it's been uh how it continues to sell <laughs> uh, yeah. and go on those charts um, it just it just made no sense. You know, it made less sense than anything else we talked about. There's other ones that were higher. We're like, why is it up here? And then we talk about some of the influence. Go, okay, kind of makes sense. But we couldn't. Fi- I couldn't figure out in my mind. And I think Steve was certainly on board um, with with my thinking. I just couldn't figure out why it was so low, given what it's done. I know for you, you said it was a little uh, a little less accessible for you, a little harder to get into. And I certainly. I get that absolutely and I can understand that I think that's not an uncommon view but anyways I'm going to stop now because I can just keep going but uh, but yeah um, you know we, we've already talked about other albums uh, like um, the band how is that uh, the band's Brown album which is coming up soon um, you know slid a little bit but one that was higher, which was music from Big Pink, has slipped down to like like seventy spots. Yeah, you know, so yeah. it's just kind of. I guess the fact that it didn't slide too much because there's a lot of albums ahead of it that either are debuting on this list. We've already done a few that have debuted. Um, some that were way down at the bottom that are up in the top fifty. So, I guess maybe it does mean with all those albums that this is still somewhat relevant. <laughs> so. Anyways, yeah. I've kind of I've kind of taken most of the time here. Any any other thoughts to echo there or chime in on? Well, I feel like I'm I'm sort of reversing on my thoughts, but this is definitely a great album. And this album, you know, I don't I think it'd be hard to for anyone to argue that it's not deserving of being on this list given all those accolades and things that you just talked about. Um mm-hmm. I think uh I think it's going to be interesting watching how the experimentation here continues to influence rock music and whether Mm. it becomes um, seen by future generations as an experiment that just missed the mark or if it continues to be held up in in such high regard. I I mean, I think, you know, we're far enough now from... We're far enough from the Velvet Underground and Nico to make us feel like, man, that was just like people playing with psychedelics in the 60s. 
it's just weird right. now, right? Like some people still love it, but yeah. it feels like quirky beyond what we really have patience for. And I don't, I don't know if that'll happen with with this particular Pink Floyd album, or if there's there's enough still going on here in how music is being created today that that it'll continue to be in, as impactful as it is. You know, all all music eventually will have its time come to an end. I, I'm just curious how this will continue to hold up given given all that they poured into creating something outside the box and um, yeah it'll be fascinating yeah, to see there, as I time think, progresses I think, time, I think you're right only time will tell yeah. um, I think yeah. that there are still a few songs on here that I think will be around for a long time yeah I think the album as the as a whole and some of the deeper cuts you know will be will be lost to those who don't yeah. have the album and don't listen to the album and as people are really more geared to just listening to songs today you just you have you know umpteen prepared playlists on spotify or just put it on shuffle and certainly yeah. you can listen to albums but i think people just pick their favorites put it on the playlist and away we go yeah. so i think that you know those will disappear as some of the deeper cuts from bands like the Beatles and the Stones will start, will disappear eventually as people who grew up with it and even our generation gets older yeah. and isn't uh, driving popular music anymore yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I think eventually, I guess the question is, you know, with some of these bands isn't, uh, is just how long, how long we'll be around. So yeah, yeah it's, it, we've mentioned this before, how, we've seen the big change from the last list to this list and we've already started talking you know oh i wonder i wonder what will happen on the next list yep. and i'm yep. hoping they don't do that too soon <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah. i am curious as as to you know because we saw some albums drop from 2003 to 2012 and then come back up mm-hmm. um you know uh, and an album like uh alanis morris jag little pill which was removed from the list yeah and is put back on like way higher than it was before. And we've seen other albums that did that. So that means like it kind of things come and go, right? They become less relevant and then become more relevant. So uh, yeah, very interested to see that. And uh, I don't think we need to talk a whole lot more. Um, this was a, a quite a lengthy review first time around <laughs> with our good friend, Steve. Um, I think it was a three-parter. And uh, so we'll probably just... Uh, we've already done a bit longer uh, intro than we normally do here, but you can certainly listen to us hash everything out in that review. Anything else to add there, Ben? No, only um, that uh, I feel bad for you that it uh, has fallen a little bit, knowing just how close it is to you. And uh, I, you know, I can't listen to this music without thinking of two of my very best friends uh, whenever I hear it, just uh, pushing play. So oh, that's, that's wonderful. Nice. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that. You know, you had one of your favorite albums go to number one on this list, and and I get uh, <laughs> I get mine <laughs> just shuffling yep. more and more to the back yep. end. So, but that's okay. That's all part of the journey. Um, so that uh, we'll we'll leave it at that for now. Um, and what do we have on our review next week, Ben? Yeah, following uh, the dark side, we get to exile. So, um, yeah. Exile in Guyville this time, which is a uh, really a very 90s sounding album by uh, Liz Fair. And uh, that comes in at number 56. Uh, it's an album that neither of us are terribly familiar with. And it's our first time around with this one. So we'll have a, 
a full brand new review out for you next week. Uh, Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville. Awesome. We hope you come back for that one. Uh, we've got our previous review of Dark Side of the Moon with our good friend Steve Burkholder coming up right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are discussing album number 43. An album that we have been anticipating for, well, pretty much since day one. Uh, that album is Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. <laughs> I can't believe it took us so long to get to this album. Not that we were slow, just I can't believe that it's number 43, but we'll get to right. that. And I'm really excited to finally talk about this album. It's one of my favorites. And we have a very special guest with us today. This person is a friend of both of ours. We All three of us grew up together, shared a lot of the same uh, experiences growing up and musical experiences. We are so happy to have our good friend Steve Burkholder with us today. Welcome, Steve. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. This is going to be uh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, even just as we're chatting, as we kind of set up our equipment and got ready to go, it's just feels very comfortable. The three of us to be talking together. So this is going to be, I think, a lot of fun and and hopefully a lot of memories. Um, Steve, you don't have to give us our, your life story right now, but what? Uh, how would you introduce yourself today? What What would you say if someone says, uh, who are you? Hmm, wow. Uh, well, today uh, I am a, uh, a husband and a father of three, three wonderful sons. Um, I live in a wonderful town. I have a wonderful job. Um, and I'm a farmer. And uh, so I, you know, I, uh, you know, an everyday man, I guess. Um, pretty nondescript, not not real extravagant lifestyle. Um, I, uh, it's interesting when I was sort of thinking about this podcast and listening to this album again. Um, I feel like you know, in the last few years, I, probably because I'm you know more of a family man man now. Uh, there just hasn't been as much time for you know my passion for music as as yeah. you know when we were younger i would certainly I, you know just way more more passionate about it not that i'm not passionate now but uh you know circumstances change and i just have I kind of gotten away from it a bit but it, i've really enjoyed kind of getting back into this now um it's kind of reignited some of my passion uh for this music 
And uh, I, you know, it was an exciting uh, thing to think about and prepare for here. And I'm actually, uh, yeah, I'm honored to be on. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we should uh, make a disclaimer that we we all chose each other to be in our in our wedding parties. So, like, we're the yeah. <laughs> we are yeah. the common link. There were other people involved, but not in each other's weddings yeah. in the same way. Uh, so, I I don't know. I think that says something about the importance of the two of you in my life, and I think I feel uh, that still today. Um, and and I think you're right, Steve. Uh, there there are a number of memories in my head about uh, you know back in sort of high school days going into one of your houses to like pick you up for something or meet up for something and the music was like so loud that you didn't even notice <laughs> someone coming into the room yeah. or or maybe you had yeah. headphones on and were playing the bass or something like that and you know music was uh oh, just yeah. all it it shaped our lives whatever we were doing whether it was uh you know singing songs in the cornfield or uh you know music on the stereo as we were driving places or going to see bands or you know it was it was the fabric of our lives and how we kind of define um every moment so it it feels really fitting yeah. and, and just like with pink floyd being all the way down this far it really has taken us too long to have you on a, as a guest so uh, an album that should be higher maybe and a, a guest that should be higher too so uh it seems fitting to have <laughs> you share it for sure 43 yeah yeah <laughs> Yes, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. This is going to be fun. You bet. So we'd like to we'd like to start with, you know, some of our memories. I think, uh, Ben, I'd like to start with you. I guess the, the first question I asked, Ben, have you heard this album before? Had you listened to this album start to finish before we started this? Or had you only heard bits and pieces before? Where's your starting point for this? Uh, this is an album that uh, I'm having a hard time placing because uh, in uh, you know recent months I have listened to this album to make sure that it was one that I had heard from beginning to end and everything on it was familiar so I'm sure okay I, I'm sure that uh, that this is something I had consumed entirely when I think about uh, sort of early memories of, of this album I think what I'm drawn to is the album art and seeing it um, hmm. you know, sort of uh, blend in with the landscape of, of high school and college, you know, because it was, um, whether it was on a t-shirt or a poster, I think this symbol, this album appearance has just become part of the fabric of, of culture. And so even if you don't necessarily know Pink Floyd or know even the album title as Dark Side, I think most people would, would see this image and think, oh yeah, I've seen that before. Um, yeah, and in an, in a really fascinating way, uh, you know, this has just become a part of culture, and uh, and it, and I think that is part of the reason that I have a hard time figuring out where exactly I would have been introduced to it, um, because it's not something that I own or have have consumed a whole lot of, uh, I, but it but it's also just always kind of been there. Um, yeah, you've you've been constantly uh, um, barraged with with yeah yeah it, yeah exactly. It's always been yeah. there. It, it's it's timeless. I was just gonna say, I think that places me somewhat outside of where you guys are. I I uh, 
I'm familiar with it, but I'm not a fan in the same way that, that the two of you are. So I, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to this conversation because I know there will be things tonight that I learn about this music and the way that you love it in, in a, a sense that I haven't necessarily gone down that pathway before. Okay. So, so Ben, just, just out of curiosity, um, and maybe the difficult question to answer, but, but why is it do you think that you don't love it the way that Mike and I do? I think a good parallel to this is the album that we just recently discussed, the self-titled Doors uh, debut album, um, an album that I right. really, really appreciate and can see its greatness and uh, you know, has many familiar songs that I've heard throughout the majority of my life. But for some reason, I haven't been drawn into that music, that music sound specifically, mm. um, right. in a way that I have for some other bands. And so um, right. I just, yeah, I, it just hasn't uh, wrapped me up to the point where I've thought, oh man, I, I got to buy this. Um, and I can't right. quite put my finger on it, but I, I'll, I'll try and share some of those thoughts as we go along here tonight. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that's, maybe, that's good. Maybe no, that's, asking, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe asking the flip side of that to you all um, as a way to segue, you know, what has it been for you all? Can you remember early moments and, and what sort of pulled you into more of a fandom uh, than just uh, appreciation from a distance like where I am? Uh, my first memory of this music is uh, actually from Steve. I remember Steve introducing me to the song Us and Them. Uh, he may have even been playing it on guitar or, sh or showed us that, that riff. Um, and that was the first time, and we've talked about before, Ben, you, you hear songs on the radio but don't necessarily know uh, what album they're from or even yeah. who who they're by necessarily when you're just listening to a lot of music throughout the day or when you're out, uh, you're at work or or driving around uh, certainly in different work environments where you might not hear the announcement of the song title and the band so i had heard i i knew that i had i was familiar with another brick in the wall but i didn't really know pink floyd steve pointed out us and them to me and then whether whether it was steve or me doing research on my own discovered that it was from a specific album called dark side of the moon and then i started downloading that music um and listening to it and really really enjoying it and then another friend of ours um that we worked with uh, a guy named mike terman i remember we were driving home one day and someone had bought a release that had just come out Pink Floyd's greatest hits called Echoes and I had got it some other people had got it and I was still learning about Pink Floyd I didn't have any of their albums I was enjoying Echoes and all the different songs and we were listening on the way home and Mike said uh, this is good but I really prefer to listen to Pink Floyd only as individual albums I don't like to listen to it as a compilation of their songs I like to listen to it one album at a time. We kind of laughed at him at first because it sounded like, oh, that's ridiculous. And then I adopted the same practice. Like, <laughs> I really enjoy listening to what Pink Floyd has selected on each album because those songs fit together so well. And they don't necessarily fit with songs from other eras of their, uh, of their discography, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you listen to early Sid, uh, Sid Barrett Floyd with, you know, later 
Floyd from the wall or or the final cut like it, it sounds like a totally different band there's, oh, there's yeah. hardly anything cohesive about it so that got me kind of thinking more about Pink Floyd and their albums and then I think it was probably around 2003 or 2004 I Steve I think you were with me mm-hmm. and maybe another friend and we were at uh, a, there was a franchise there's a couple left of used CD stores called Deja Vu Discs and there was one on uh, Highway 7 in Markham and I know I went there and picked up a copy of uh, Dark Side of the Moon on CD I think it was 30th I think it was 30th 30th Three. anniversary Three. Yeah. 2000 yeah 2003 that's right so what it must have been 2003 or 2004 I picked up a copy in there we're doing the math <laughs> um, and that, that's Slow when math. I that's when I got the album and since since then i've gotten most of their well at least all of their 70s albums i don't have all their 60s albums and some of the stuff after uh, the 80s when the band had kind of broken up and with different versions of the band um but it's still my favorite pink floyd album it's the one i listen to the most and i just love uh, every aspect of it and it's one that when i come back to i'm i'm never bored and i'm always amazed and how much I still enjoy it, even after hearing it dozens mm-hmm. of times. Um, mm-hmm. So that leads me to my question to you, Steve, is uh, do you remember when you first heard either a song from the album or the album in yeah. its entirety? And, I, and I'll couple this with another question you can answer separately or together. Um, I know you have a copy of this on vinyl, and I'm wondering if that's where this came from. Uh, if yeah. you first listened to it from that vinyl copy you have, and, and where that came from, because that that yeah. probably wouldn't have been the kind of music that you know you had in your household. Yeah, because uh, I kind of know your a bit of you know your upbringing and the, the music that your family would have listened to. This really wouldn't have fit into. Yeah, you know, no, your my, my dad wouldn't have into Pink, into Pink Floyd for sure. <laughs> no, um, so so yeah, <laughs> take us on on that journey if you can yeah. remember some well, of your first memories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and certainly my memory um as my wife can attest to is not very good but (laughs) i was thinking about this and i thought well what what was the genesis of uh, that's not meant to be a reference to genesis what was that's another discussion but (laughs) where did where did my passion for pink floyd start when did it start i mean okay when i think back to when i was uh, I, I'm going to say it was probably when I was a teenager. So like, you know, late nineties kind of thing. And, and what I would do at night, I would fall asleep to, um, Q107. They had their top 10 at 10. Uh, okay. Yeah. Remember that? But yep. that was, that was like my go-to. I would listen to that every night, uh, when I was in bed, getting ready to go to sleep. And now I don't know, you know, I, I'm sure at some point, Money would have been on there, uh, probably us and them. Those are the two singles from Dark Side. But, but just Pink Floyd in general, you know, what are the classics? Well, another Brick in the Wall Part Two. You already said that, Mike. There would have been Comfortably Numb, uh, a couple others from the Wall, probably. The, these are the sort of the most popular, um, you know, the popular Pink Floyd songs at the time. Um, that's what I probably would have heard. I, I'm going to guess that it was from those Q107 days when I was, you know sort of 15 16 years old yeah and i would have heard those and uh i maybe would have i don't know when deja vu discs uh 
started, but that's probably where I, you know, I started picking up all of my CDs. I think I got yeah. most of my CDs from them. Uh, HMV, certainly, you know, to go to the mall and what, what were the stores at the time? HMV is the one I can think of. I'm sure there were a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, be looking, I just be looking for Pink Floyd, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Whether it was, yeah, whatever. Like, I mean, um, I actually don't have all of their albums. Um, I, I kind of, Mike, with you, you know, I wasn't really interested in the early years, the Sid Barrett years, uh, you know, say what you want about that. Um, but uh, certainly the the stuff they produced in the 70s, I, you know, I, I was all over that stuff. Um, just the, probably what drew me to them is, is just, they just have such a unique sound. It is, it's what, it's what draws me to all of those bands that I'm, I'm a big fan of in those years. You know, while Genesis is one, you know, somebody like Yes, um, uh, Zeppelin, of course. You know, these are these are the pioneers of of rock and uh, not just rock and roll, but of, of you know, I was I was I think of the prog rock, right? Um, yeah. These are bands that they were doing things that were kind of outside the norm, right? You know, not that it wasn't uh, obviously it, it was very. Uh, you know, it was very widely accepted, like, um, and received some of these albums that these bands were doing. Not, not everything, you know, like most people are, are listening to, you know, the radio edits, right? They're listening for the singles. Yeah. I'm listening for those. I'm listening for those really, really interesting, long instrumental songs. You know, the, the ones that, that are, are five parts, you know, like on, like shine on you crazy diamond, right. From wish you were here, which I think was the next album after dark side. Um, I, that's what I love. Like, in fact, I'm not even sure Dark Side is my favorite Pink Floyd album. Uh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, there, you know, you know, like, <laughs> um, I'd, I'd have to really, I'd, I'd really have to think about that because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan. Like I say, of those those longer um, epic songs, like with with so much instrumental. Because at at at, at the heart. I am I am just a fan of very well thought out music, um, um, you know melodies. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm kind of a music geek, right? I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to every element that goes into a song. Uh, not so much the lyrics. I'm, I'm not really listening to the lyrics per se. Like I, I'm listening in in that you know I want to hear the melody and and I want it to be a rhythm. You know what I mean? But I, I'm I'm listening to all the different elements that go into a song, and I'm listening intently. And and oh man, like Dark Side has has so much to offer in terms of of musical elements, right through right. Um, like it, yeah, well listen to me, I'm getting I'm getting worked up. <laughs> so you know, yeah. okay, to answer the question, yeah, I guess it, it probably the late '90s. Uh, if I had to guess, is when I really started getting in, getting into it. You know, when I had my own clock radio beside my bed, and I yeah. could listen to music on the radio. That's what I was listening to, right? That's what okay. Q107 was playing at the time, um, and that's what probably got me started. Yeah. As for that vinyl copy that I've got, that does go back to those days, um, but I don't think I actually probably listened to that until a few years later. And I thought, hey, I came across this. I don't even know where I got it. I, like, it just showed up, I guess. 
<laughs> and I threw it on my, my parents' record player. And I was like, wow, this is, this is intense. Steve, you have two older brothers. Um, Pink Floyd was not something they passed down to you. This was something that you sort of discovered <laughs> of your own intuition. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, um, yeah, I, I would say so. Like, I mean, they were, uh, boy, certainly not Phil, which you guys had on for U2's The Joshua Tree. Right. Yeah. He was, you know, he's not really a Pink Floyd guy. Maybe my oldest brother, Ed, he would have been more into that at the time. It's possible there was some influence there from him. Uh, and I just, like I say, I don't remember that vividly. So, yeah, th- he might have had he might have had something to do with it too. Um, I, I won't discount that, but uh, I, I mean, I think for the most part, it was my own discovering, yeah. uh, just from listening to the radio, and, yeah. and kind of going from there. Well, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I think uh, Pink Floyd does seem to have an almost um, polarizing kind of effect on people you either seem to love them or or aren't sure what to do with them um it's interesting that you mentioned phil as not being a fan because as a past guest we reached out to him to see if he had any thoughts and his response was yeah i can probably offer some kind of perspective and and then he says i google it and i was like huh i know absolutely nothing about this album sorry guys <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know like he yeah. he's a year he's a year older than mike and i and two years older than you uh you know yeah. we're all growing up at the same time i'm sort of in the middle kind of indifferent he has nothing and you guys sort of fall in love yeah. so uh it's it's yeah. just really fascinating it doesn't seem and and also we're talking about an album that was not um, released in our lifetime either so yeah, yeah. Unlike, something yeah. That, unlike something that was coming out, you know, as we were teenagers in the 90s, um, this is music that had been lingering sort of out there in, in the radio ether, especially on classic radio, classic rock radio, I guess. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, it's not it's not for everyone. And and that's OK, um, despite it being, yeah. you know, one of the best selling albums of all time. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, and maybe you guys have thoughts. I'm sure you do about this too, but I think, you know, uh, groups like Pink Floyd and, you know, like, like the other prog rock groups like Genesis and yes, that I was talking about, I know there's lots of others too, but they, they offer you a, um, it's a, it's, it's a specific sound and, and it doesn't appeal to everybody by, by any means, you know, people are wired a certain way, certain things will appeal to them, you know, uh, to their, to the ears, they, what they want to hear, and they might not even be able to explain it. And maybe I can't even explain it, right? Like I, yeah. Yeah. it just appeals to me. It doesn't appeal to everybody, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. that sound that it can be very complicated. Yeah. Um, and and can, I can totally get that it can be off-putting for some people, especially what I was talking about earlier. Some of those longer instrumental tracks that, that don't really get radio play, the ones that I, you know, I thrive off of. Other people are like, "Come on, this is this is boring." I, you know, I don't, I don't need this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we're getting to um, you know the crux of so much of these conversations is that music is emotional. Um, it's not it's not a logical conversation that we're having here, <laughs> where we can say, "Okay, mm, one right. plus one yeah. equals equals two, and so this is good and this is bad." Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 
this is the way that we experience something and the way that we feel in that experience. Uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned exactly. the longer songs. I, I kind of have a standing uh, <laughs> uh, philosophy here as we go through these albums that if a song gets over five minutes, it's sort of a waste of space on the album. And, you know, for you, Ooh. that's the stuff that you are really drawn to, right? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we might need to end right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. And uh, We'll get into that a little bit more later, I'm sure, as we go sure. through some of the specifics of the songs. But like, you know, we're we're two people who can appreciate this as greatness and yet be drawn to the greatness for very different kinds of reasons, um, even in the midst sure. of, sure. of lifting something up as excellent. Uh, so you must have really struggled with Light My Fire by the Doors. <laughs> seven minutes long. Yeah. Or do you just turn it off after five minutes? <laughs> I, oh. <laughs> This is getting dangerous. If you, if you did, my don't don't thoughts about this uh, this album, but <laughs> I, don't admit I to it. If you did, times, like I'd be more content with a radio edit on all these songs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know, com- completely sacrilegious for uh, for me to say about this. <laughs> you know, I, Mike and I were we listened to the album the other night, and I was, we were talking about it, and and the the uh, the topic of radio edits came up. Mm-hmm. And oh boy. I told Mike that, honestly, some radio edits, when they come on, and, you know, sometimes you get, for whatever reason, you know, whatever station might actually play the non-edited version of it. And then I'm like, yeah. score, this is amazing. <laughs> I can't believe they're playing the, the unedited version, the full length. But majority of the time, it's the radio edit. As soon as you get to the part that they've edited out, I'm like, you lost me, and I turned the radio off. Honestly, <laughs> sorry. There, there was a there was a, there was a fire in Steve's eyes when he was talking to me about this. Just yeah. uh, an, an intense anger. No, really. Like I honestly want to boycott that radio station for <laughs> a year when they do radio. Get <laughs> it out. I mean, so there's a song on here, uh, the last track of the first side, "The Great Gig in the in the Sky," has about a two minute. Oh, so a uh, wavery voice over just two chords progressing back and forth. Um, I oh, think yeah. it, in my uh, uh, listening to it over the last couple of weeks really intensely, there were times where I would feel myself think like, man, they need a better editor who, who should have just cut that out. Like, uh. There's no need for that kind of like... Uh, <laughs> and, and then there are other times where I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing. They're not going for a hook here. They're they're trying to capture an emotion. This is music to be savored and to, and oh. to actually linger in um, rather than just to go on to the, the refrain or the chorus or the thing that, that brings you back around again. Uh, it's a totally different way of, right. of creating music. And it's, it's, it leans to me at least like a jazz record um, in the way that mm. they're constructing songs here. It, this would be a failure if they were going purely on radio edit kinds of things right like there are some good radio hits here but it's not because they are like a traditional radio hit <laughs> um no, no and no and, and so I yeah if that's, if, those, yeah if that's the measuring stick then you're going to be lost like right out of the gate oh yeah yeah definitely i think i'm going to edit out the first thing you said ben and just leave the second thing well i mean i think that's part of i think that's part of the struggle that that lots of people have not just myself that that pink floyd requires something of you that most pop music does not 
Um, <coughs> okay, oh, yeah, so for sure. It requires you to engage it in a different kind of way. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but so maybe if I can interject here, then saying that, if you're, if you're saying a lot of people uh, require it to be a certain way, wh- why is this album, you know, one of the best-selling albums of all time? Well, that yeah, I think I'm hoping you two answer that for me tonight. Oh, oh. <laughs> great! Yeah. Give it a shot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, is, is, is it like a case of people don't realize that they're they actually do like the music the way it is, and they're <laughs> not just interested in you know radio hits or or what what is it? I mean. I have a bunch of theories, but I think we'll save those for the end. Yeah. We can come back to this. I think uh, I'll just make one comment before we move on. And and I think there is that combination of hooks and radio singles on this album combined with uh, some of those long, more experimental and progressive sounds. So that's, Mm. you know, I think, I think there's a little bit for, there's a good two. balance. Yeah, there yeah. Are. There's a balance of different ways of listening to music and different uh, ways of experiencing it. So that hmm. we'll come back to that. We can we sure. can hash that out a little bit later. Um, I think we've alluded to this a few times of how successful this album was and what a market's made on history. So I'd like to just go through some of these details uh, first, and then we'll get back into some of our feelings on different tracks and the feel of the album. So uh, let's do sure. some details. Details, 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 details. This album was released uh, March 1st, 1973. Uh, This was Pink Floyd's eighth studio album. And I didn't even really realize that. I knew of a few of their 60s albums, but they they had quite a few. It seems like a high number, doesn't it? I I had to look it up because I I didn't believe it, but but they did. They did a couple... um, in 71, they did Metal, and I thought that was what came before this. But in 72, they did Obscured by Clouds, which was a soundtrack to a French movie. Mm-hmm. But it, was, it was a studio album, and they mm-hmm. did uh, they did a, a number of albums in the 70s. Uh, I think they were working on that while they were working on Dark Side, too, weren't they? I think, I think you're right, Steve, because... Yeah. Um, uh, this album was recorded uh, at the famous Abbey Road Studios from mm-hmm. June 72 to January 73. So yeah. uh, eight months um, being recorded and mixed and edited. So yeah, they were probably doing all that together. Yeah. Um, it was written by uh, different combinations of the members of the band. This is, we've talked about that some, like the Doors, for example, on their debut, every song is except for the two covers are credited to the doors this one and you can start to see some of the uh personalities and some of the conflict and some of the Mm -hmm. kind of possessiveness of different people because every song is credited to you know a different combination of people everybody wants their name you know i'm i'm reading into it a bit but but we know that there was a lot of big personalities and a lot of conflict in this band throughout the years so so each band, each sorry, each uh, each song is credited to you know different people. The name that comes up the most is Roger Waters, and yeah. I uh, he is um, not on the album itself, but on other literature credited as the primary lyricist for this album. And he, uh, I think, members of the band would agree that he is the 
uh, the vision behind the kind of concept of this album. Yeah, uh, this was his baby. It was his idea. All the themes, the the lyrical themes, um, and many of the musical themes uh, are by Roger Waters. Certainly, the last two tracks and some of the others um, are credited just to Roger Waters. So, yeah. as much as they all have credits here, uh, he really is the the brainchild behind this thing. Um, I'm sure David Gilmore would probably fight me if he heard me mm. say that, but uh, but I think it's uh, accepted that this is uh, Roger Waters' kind yeah. of album. Yeah, um, it was very successful when it was released initially, and this has been released about four different times. I will add, um, but it, on its initial release, it went number one in the U.S., number two uh, in the U.K., and I was very interested as to why this only went to number two in the uk what else came out there and i looked it up and the number one album the week that this climbed up to number two was called flashback to the 60s 20 hits Uh, (laughs) it was a compilation album that beat this out and in the in the in the the weeks that followed this album started to slip down and some other very famous albums uh, were released at that time, like Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin, David Bowie's Aladdin Sane, which sat at number one for a few weeks. The Beatles released their two uh, early, the the blue and the red album of their um, box sets came out mm. a few yeah. weeks later. So all these al- these amazing albums keep pushing Pink Floyd down from number one, but the one that stopped it was a compilation album of 60s hits. So <laughs> there you go, Ben, uh, for all our talk about how much we we don't think that compilation albums have a place <laughs> on lists. Uh, oh, Pink Floyd never hit number one in the UK because of it. So kind of interesting tidbit. Um, yeah. To date, it's estimated that this album has sold around 45 million copies which makes it one of the best-selling albums of all time, which is saying something compared to some of the others. I think other albums we've talked about that are near this number, um, Rumors, Thriller by Michael Jackson, and uh, one that we haven't talked about, but one that is one of the best-selling albums of all time, which is uh, the Sound of Music soundtrack, which is still up there as... Wow. one of the best uh, albums but this uh it uh lists with album sales are tricky because it has to do with distribution and it doesn't always uh, or it never has to do with uh resale yeah or or other things and it certainly it makes it more complicated with online sales and streaming and uh, digital downloads but uh so yeah there's a lot of different lists that say different things about what are the best albums but this is you know way up there in terms of one of the best um even even some of the beatles albums we've talked about have have not come come quite this close to 45 million right right mike you mentioned a couple times here that it's been re-released and i found it really fascinating uh digging just a little bit that it it charts pretty much every time it gets re-released too yeah. so absolutely you know, yeah it, yes it does it charts in 73 and 75 and 93 and 2003 and 2005 and 2011 yeah. it just keeps popping up um and i i think i mean the longev- the longevity of an album like this is really impressive uh you know it and not just like charting at 198 or something like that on the top 200 but 
but sort of nudging into um, near the top in certain countries. Uh, yeah. The most recent release in 2011, um, it hits number 12 on the Billboard 200, uh, which is right. just yeah. incredible wow. to think about that kind of uh, uh, yeah. longevity. Is one of those albums that just perpetually has stayed popular um on the billboard charts uh it has accumulated 949 total weeks uh, <laughs> on the charts that's hmm. that's number one by a long shot second place is an album we're going to talk about shortly bob marley's legend again the greatest hits album hmm. has 612 hmm. weeks so over 300 weeks short what's that <laughs> uh, so six years <laughs> right six years worth of charting six years yeah. uh, total um so like that is it's staggering it's just it was just always there it has another record 736 consecutive weeks on the top 200 it Amazing. did not fall off the charts until uh from when it was released until 1988 so 15 <laughs> years, it did not fall off the charts once. And since that time, and that was 700. So it, it has spent another 200 total weeks plus right. since that time. So it's come back on and it often has to do with, you know, if now in the digital age, if something is trending or if it came up in a movie or if there was a re-release, often that's when it comes back during a re-release yeah. or a, yeah. a special anniversary, like we're getting... You know, uh, in three years when we get to 2023, I'm sure there will be a, a 50th anniversary, you know, release. Yeah. And I'm sure it will chart again um, because people hmm. just, just want to consume it over and over again. Um, there are certain albums in your collection, you know, when we talk about maybe not digital, but when we talk about CDs or LPs, if, if I lost my, well, I have a record and a CD of this now. But if let's say if I had just the CD and I lost it, I'd probably go out and buy it again. <laughs> it's one of those right. albums that I would just always want to have. I've done that with certain albums. I lost them or had them damaged and said, you know, I like this that much that I, I want to buy it one more time. And and right. I can see people doing that with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting um, that, uh, you know, in, in the, the work up to the, to the release of this album, actually some of it was, um, was from live stuff, right? Like they were, they were, trotting this stuff out to members of the press mm. uh, ahead of time before the okay. release and and uh okay well here for example um some some it was just really well received by critics uh quoted as saying bringing tears to the eyes it was so completely understanding and musically questioning uh the ambition of the floyd's artistic intention is now vast Musically, there were some great ideas, but the sound effects often left me wondering if I was in a birdcage at London Zoo. That was for you, Ben. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I just—I thought it was—I uh, thought it was funny that, or not funny, but just just a, a neat way to, um, you know, sort of test out their material, I guess, before actually releasing it. it means it means it was out there, right? Um, now, in today's digital age, that that. You know, it, it it was different then. Obviously, you know, it wouldn't have been very readily accessible to everybody. Uh, what what they were doing ahead of the release, so it would have still been definitely a um, uh, uh, a new thing for everybody once it was released to the public. But 
but just yeah, just an interesting thing there that they they were doing live stuff uh, um, for critics ahead of the release. I think they were developing some of that music on stage. Yeah, and that's uh, hmm. that's a different way to do things. <laughs> yeah, I was struck the the historic note that that struck me, and you're right, Mike. There is just a, a rabbit hole of information of an album with this much success, yeah. but this yeah. this really yeah. did catapult them into another sort of stratosphere in terms of fame and wealth absolutely and, and one of the absolutely. things that they that they did with their wealth was be one of the financers of monty python and the holy grail so without dark side mm. we don't get that place <laughs> of uh of iconic film um oh wow which is just really <laughs> fascinating that uh you know, we don't get dark side and then there's this ripple effect through, uh, through culture. <laughs> oh, wow. It, it, yeah. It's, it's like a weird episode of the Simpsons where, you know, you know, Homer stumbles across a, a lamp and decides to remove dark side. And then the ripple effect of all the things we don't right, get. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing that, that we usually like to mention, and this is interesting here too, is what single, what what from the album were singles? So there were only two singles released, uh, Money, and then uh, not until February of 1974, so almost a year later, they released Us and Them as a single, and Time was a B-side on that single, yeah. which is interesting because I always thought, I mean, they play Time on the radio a lot, um, yeah. certainly back in the, like you said, in the, they played a lot. I listen to Q107 these days, uh, and back in the 90s and 2000s, they played a lot more Floyd. Yeah. Um, they still do play Money probably every day, and maybe <laughs> Wish You Were Here almost every day. But no, I, and I'm not exaggerating. And, um, and they don't really play a lot of the other stuff, but I, they used to play Time a lot. Um, yeah. And I always thought that was a single, but that was just a B-side on Us and Them, which thing, yeah. you actually don't hear Us and Them on the radio as much. Certainly not these days. Um, uh, but that's a it's another great song. So, uh, yeah. Well, don't over five don't... minutes. True. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it is longer. That's right. <laughs> Snooze fest. Aww. <laughs> 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 um, well, on that note, um, yeah. <laughs> any other historical notes, guys? <laughs> Money is six and a half minutes. Yeah. Yeah, like, so, I mean, and that's the thing. Money Money is a really popular radio song, and it's it's not short <laughs> yeah. um, at all. But, I mean, it's it moves. Like, it's got good movement. But anyway, I don't want to yeah. get too much into that. Um, yeah. One thing we, we got to talk about is uh, the album artwork. Mm. Uh, without you know there's no definitive list because it's so subjective but this has got to be one of the most iconic album covers of all time and yeah, one thing definitely. I love about it just off the bat there are absolutely zero words on it at all <laughs> it doesn't say Pink Floyd it doesn't say Dark Side nothing yet everybody knows what it's from uh, my wife has a t-shirt with this on it um, and yeah She's not really even a big prog rock fan at all, but it's just so <laughs> iconic. You're, you're. If you're walking down the street today, wearing this shirt, you're cool. Like, yeah. Uh, half the people walking by you are gonna know what it is. Are probably gonna smile and nod at your shirt and and give you a nod. Like, oh yeah, 
dark side, eh? Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, um, and the other half are just going to say, hey, that's a cool shirt. Even right. if they don't know what it is, right? <laughs> what a neat <laughs> graphic. Really, yeah. it really sets the tone for that album right off the bat with, with even with just with the with the artwork that it, the artwork itself is just timeless it's it's so simple um uh it's it's there's really not a lot happening it's just a few lines really um and then the amount of like you know you could probably in any you know hot topic or or walmart or anything you could probably buy a shirt with this on the amount of um you know movies and and now uh, memes and different graphics like this will show up on it's just it's just a part of of popular culture now that everyone seems to recognize um this was uh designed by uh, a man named george hardy and a company called hypnosis was a design firm who had done a lot of work for pink floyd and a a lot of work for other bands as well Uh, they're the ones who designed it somebody saw a photograph of in a magazine of light refracting through a prism and thought yeah, that's good. Uh, I read a comment that um, Richard Wright had said something to the effect of, you know, we want something simple, not too weird anymore <laughs> for, <laughs> for for their album. Like something just very classy, simple, straightforward. Yeah. Um, and so they went with this uh, on the inside. Um, and, uh, actually, interesting thing. So I, rec- uh, Steve and I uh, talked, Ben, we mentioned this. I recently bought a... A 2016 pressing of this album because I heard that the new pressings are, are very clean. They've taken out any pops or hisses, so I I, I didn't have it on vinyl. Uh, Steve has a, a vintage copy which we listened to the three of us together, um, which sounds really great. And I wanted to uh, to get a new copy, so I got one. And it comes with the original, um, all the promotional materials. Uh, Steve, you and I were looking at some of this and wondering if. If that was from the original and yes in fact the original release did have inside it two posters one of kind of these stylized pictures of the band with letters spelling pink floyd and the other one is uh an, i think it's an infrared photo of the great pyramids of giza and hmm. and also those two stickers with uh with pyramids on them with the letters spelling pink floyd those were all promotional materials in the original 1973 release really so the one that i got which is just a few years old uh they recreated every aspect of it nice um on the back it's the same image but just upside down um (laughs) which is interesting and then on the inside it's the rainbow uh color going straight across uh but the green looks like uh the heartbeat signature like on an ekg um, yeah. that's the inside of the gatefold with all the lyrics and very interesting the band uh, you know the other members of the band were so confident of the quality of Roger Waters lyrics on this album that for the first time they decided to print them on the album sleeve they had never done that before mm-hmm. uh, and I mean it's implying that maybe they weren't confident in his <laughs> in his <laughs> lyrics before previous attempts yeah but uh, they were so confident in how good his lyrics were, and they are very good, um, in my opinion, that they decided that they would, as part of the design, they would print them on the inside. So all the when you open it up, all the lyrics are inside. So that's kind of some of the history of oh, the cool. of this extremely iconic uh, image here. Yeah, I I want to go back to the um, 
audio from Abbey Road in which you insisted that that was the most iconic album cover and uh, have you duke it out with yourself, Uh-oh. which actually is. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> well, um, I think it was actually Ryan who was claiming that at the time. So you're saved at least. We had a special <laughs> guest man who thought it was the best. Um, I, I like to say things like one of the best. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when I say when I say one of the best, there's there's no there's kind of no limit to how many that is. So I kind of get myself out of a little trouble there. How very strategic of you. I don't know light uh, patterns all that well, but I I think this prism is actually bouncing light in a way that wouldn't actually happen. There's a um, well. Sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead, Ben. I was going to say there. <laughs> You're about to get scienced. <laughs> <laughs> there's an image of a prism, finish your thought. There's an image of a prism reflecting light in the Wikipedia entry for Dark Side that has the rainbow coming out at a pretty extreme angle from the light going in. Um, but I'm not a scientist, so maybe Steve, you can help me out in in laying down some science. Well, in that same Wikipedia entry, it just says the design was inspired by a photograph of a right? prism with a color being projected through it. So, now, that's not to say that they copied the photograph. It said sure. it was inspired by. So, it could have taken some liberties there. Uh, as to the actual angle of entry and exit of the light beam, I will not comment on that because there are so many variables involved. That's right. Is that fair? I, I like that. Um, right. I, I also, this week, discovered that you can get some wallpaper for your cell phone or desktop or laptop or whatever of uh, the light going in and out sort of uh, into infinity like like you know 30 feet wide kind of thing of just like expanding out forever <laughs> um, it's cool to see some of the ways that people have, have taken this uh, art and kind of pushed it even farther than the artist originally intended and I think yeah. that says something about its greatness like you were saying Mike it's just sort of a thing you can pick up a t-shirt at Walmart now with, with this on it. Um, yeah. It's so much a part of our, our culture. Um, and you know, we've, we've mentioned the wall a couple times. That's another iconic looking album cover that, uh, I don't know. They just have a gift, I guess, as a band of, of creating these things that become pop culture phenomenons or at least hiring the right people to create those things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> We hope you'll join us again tomorrow for part two of our discussion of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to the Sound Logic Podcast. No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back to part two of our discussion of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and do that now. Enjoy! So, ten tracks on this album. Uh, ben, that sweet spot. Which which actually, yeah. this is interesting because some of the tracks are quite long, uh, but then you have a few that are very short. So, uh, it balances out. Uh, five per side. Side one is Speak to Me. Breathe. Breathe. Breathe in the air. On the run. Time. Picking away the moments that make up a dull day. And the great gig in the sky is the last track on that side. Side two begins with money. money. Us and them. Us, 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 us. And them. Any color you like. Brain damage. And the album closes with Eclipse. And I want to point out that uh, on the original LP, Breathe was called Breathe in the Air. So I'm not sure what led to that uh, change. (laughs) Um, And... Uh, time contains the breathe reprise. So, I, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't think it says that on the album. I'd have to get my copy, but it's funny that it lists that because that's just a part of the song. <laughs> um, uh, what's What also is interesting about that is um, I think for the most part, or maybe 100% of the time, speak to me and breathe. Are they not played together? Every time you hear that on the, if you do hear it on the radio, maybe that doesn't happen anymore. I've heard "Breathe" on the radio, and they cut out "Speak to Me." Oh, okay, okay. Or, or they'll just have like kind of the last few seconds of it. Um, yeah, yeah. As maybe as it is in the album. Yeah, I, I think it's rare today that you'd hear that. I maybe in the past, and I used to hear like they would play. Um, us and them and of course the la- we'll get into this but the last four tracks uh, really all bleed into each other like there's no break at all um, and it's almost like just a, a even sometimes just an abrupt kind of uh, key change and we're into another yep. song yep. I've often heard us and them and any color you like played together yep. uh, because they it, you have to cut it very sharply if you don't want to hear any bit of any color you like. Oh yeah, and of I've course, heard it done poorly too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and of course, um, brain damage and eclipse 
anytime I've heard that on the radio, it's always together. Yeah. It's yeah. like hearing um um we uh, are we the are champ champions. we're the yeah. champions and yeah. uh we will rock you, yeah. We will rock you. Like they're 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 always played together. So That's right. yeah. uh I, yeah, a lot of these songs and and you and I discussed too, Steve, that with the exception of from track five to six, because you have to flip the side of the of the disc, yeah. um, all of the songs uh, bleed into another. Like there's no yeah. there's no break on, on the run and time. Maybe a little bit of silence, but still there's a little am- ambient sound there. But the rest of them, even musically, there's still stuff happening. Yeah. Uh, certainly the last four tracks on the album they go right yeah. into one another so it's almost it's almost really like two sweets really yeah. uh, which is which is so unique I had a lot of um, sort of flashbacks to Marvin Gaye's what's going on as I was listening more intensely mm. the last yeah. couple of weeks that that it really feels like a disservice to the artistry of composing this as an album to take any of these tracks out uh, on their own um, you know, they really feel <laughs> like there's so much intentionality in placing them and, and blurring the lines almost between tracks yeah. that, that it feels like a disservice to pull them out and, and analyze them one at a time. Um, because, you, yeah, it's out of the forest for the trees or something like that, that um, you sort of miss the point if you try and dissect them one at a time. Yeah. Uh, I, I think if you were, if you were going to do it for this one, uh, money is probably the easiest one to do that yeah. because it's, you know, it's it's there's nothing ahead of it because it's the first one on the side and and it right. does get very yeah. quiet between that one and us and them. So but right, yeah, but it, I mean, yeah, it still does. It's definitely if you're listening close, it's still got that connection there. To oh, connect. for sure, absolutely. It's yeah. it's it, you're right, Ben. I mean, it's so intentional. Uh, um, how they connected these songs together. It is uh, interesting music to jog to. This this evening I went out for a run uh, with this on my cell phone, sort of playing noisily, and uh, came across some <laughs> folks walking and things like that and hearing either the money clinking sounds or I think there's even some like, you know, especially the opening track, just the sort of noise pollution that it begins with <laughs> there were a few heads turned yeah. my way of like what are you listening yeah. to as you're <laughs> running yeah. through our neighborhood yeah. um, you're just trying to map the heartbeat that's yeah, that's right exactly <laughs> yeah it's it's funny uh a couple times i you know was listening to this on my computer and finished it and just decided to just start it over again and and the heartbeat starts and finishes the album so if you hit play right again it just kind of starts right <laughs> right up again it's kind of funny yeah. Yeah. um and i found it very frustrating uh listening to this on spotify because there is a very slight pause between each track um like half a second but because so many of them flow seamlessly it just was this abrupt yeah. interruption in my listening yeah. experience like yeah. ah you've ruined the album by putting this yeah. little pause in there yeah. and sometimes it even play an ad and oh my gosh oh, I almost yeah. threw my computer right out the window just <laughs> I think that this this album of any phone, of the sure. albums that we have yeah. listened to was the thing where I I realized that limitation of Spotify that you know for something sure. like this that is such a 
I'm struggling to come up with the terminology, but like so intentionally meant to be listened to as an album, throwing an ad in between yeah. anything here just feels so much like uh, nails on a blackboard or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm absolutely. ruining Very something intrusive. that's supposed to be uh, consumed as a whole. Um, I think yep. our friend Mike all those many years ago was onto something when he said sort of like, I don't like to listen oh, to for this sure. um, out of order because, <laughs> you know, you miss sort of what they were initially going for. Uh, and, and even worse, yeah. if you throw an ad <laughs> into the middle of it. Pink Floyd utilized that uh, not just on this album, though, too, right? Mm -hmm. um, this, this, they, they were oh, very intentional... <laughs> In, in in a lot of what they produced that that you know complete complete album that whole concept of, of doing a complete album that you, you basically you have to listen to front to back right uh, for it to kind of make sense and flow right not a lot of just one-off songs that you can just pick out like even uh this is a bit of a, a tangent here so i apologize but you can cut this out if you need to but um you know another brick in the wall part two one probably when I look at iTunes here, I was looking at it earlier. I was looking at, mo you know, I ranked it, ranked Pink Floyd songs by popularity on iTunes. Yeah. Another Brick in the Wall, part two, is the most popular song. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry. It's Comfortably Numb, closely followed by Another Brick in the Wall, part two. Well, Mike, we were talking about this the other night. Um, another Brick in the Wall, part two, you, you, can't hurt, you can't really listen to that without listening to the song before it. Right. Yeah. which has such a great lead in right. yeah. and you can hardly listen to that song without listening to another brick in the wall part one but, <laughs> yeah know I mean? no i know just just, just I, I, again sorry that is a side note just from a different album obviously but yeah but you know it's it's just, these oh, are these need to be listened to front to back like yep. no holds barred like that's just the way it is and I, I think agree. speaks to a moment in time where it was far more important for artists to construct an album than it is today. Um, yeah. You know, their, their assumption, I think, in the early 70s was that their fans will hear the entire album. They're not writing these songs yeah. with a single listen sort of sensibility of an artist today. I can't imagine what it must be like to be a recording artist today where you just hope that one of the songs on your album <laughs> sort of catches fire uh, yeah. because there's no need to buy an album anymore, right? You, you know, you can get uh, a billion listens for a single track and, and not have the rest of your album even acknowledged. Um, yeah. So there's a very different kind of, of construction going on here that I just don't think we hear or we don't see that happening in the same kind of way. From, from modern artists yeah yeah which which, which you know it, it's it's not even, it's not even comparing apples to apples anymore right like right. modern artists are now sort of trying to produce something uh, like you say you know they, they want to produce that one hit that is very mm -hmm. widely acknowledged and accepted and downloaded and purchased uh, uh, and, and it's a four minute song or whatever whereas you know you know at the time of this album release and 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 in those years they they're it, it's basically more like you know they're producing uh an entire uh like an entire production right like it's like a it's like a play or a, or a movie um you know there's a story to be told there there are themes all throughout you know every song 
um, is dealing with the same. The, the whole the whole album has a theme to it. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah. it, and 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 because that was just the way it was, they're 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 able to focus on that whole idea, producing an album as a whole. Uh, whereas, yeah, like you say nowadays, the, the people are just trying to produce one hit, which is is quite discouraging. I don't remember the last time I've listened to anything modern to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah you mentioned earlier that uh, a lot of the themes yeah that there's a lot of th- uh, common themes throughout this album and um you know a lot of times we talk about you know we talk about what you what are your favorite tracks i i, I think it would be hard for at least you and i to do that uh, for this we yeah. maybe can get to some Ben's favorite tracks, but um, <laughs> I think I think you'll touch on a lot of the songs. But you know, what do you think about when you think about the themes on this album? Something I mentioned earlier with me and lyrics uh, that I, I'm not I'm not so good with lyrics, right? I have a, actually I have a really hard time understanding most lyrics in in anyone's song, and I, I'm like I said, not really listening for that. So you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> To listen, to listen to this album and and tell you to give you essentially a book report what was this album about I, I'd be lost I couldn't do that I I would know what I feel from yeah. listening to it musically um, you know but I, I mean I can look up on the on the Wikipedia page like you know the, the themes of this album were uh, you know Pink Floyd was at a time where they were uh, becoming more and more successful uh, their former band member Sid Barrett had 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 uh, kind of succumbed to his mental illness, which sort of arose out of their 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 band's success and the pressures of being this this really high profile successful band, and and so mental illness is certainly um, you know a, a theme throughout this this album, and I I couldn't have told you that just by I mean other than you know. Of, of course, like maybe brain brain damage, where it seems to be fairly fairly blunt in their in their lyrics. There, yeah. I guess I can pick that up. But that aside, um, I think you can tell just by listening to the particular um, the, the 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 rhythms, you know, the melodies, uh, the the chords that they're using in in particular songs, um, and then and then you know beyond the the music part the these uh, sounds that Ben was talking about earlier, yeah. uh, which I actually I find quite fascinating. I didn't realize, Mike, we were talking about this the other night. Um, I learned something uh, that what those there's, there's actual term for those sounds. It's called musique concrète, and per, you know, pardon my poor French. But <laughs> it's not bad. Term they give to you know all these uh, all of these recorded sounds that that that. Um, um, they've included on on most of the tracks actually i think most of the tracks if not all of them have some uh um you know some recorded sounds on it that they they've used and so i I think you can get a pretty good sense to what what this album is what they're what what the theme of the album is particularly with the mental mental health issue um just by the feel of the music right if not if if you know if the lyrics aren't aren't you know sort of poking you in that direction i think you can still tell just by the music just the feel of it right yeah so that's that's definitely a big theme of this album and feel free to add on to that you hear a lot of lyrical themes and some of the ones that that have been noted you know by others of conflict 
uh, in politics, war, um, time and aging, mm-hmm. uh, uh, wealth, of course, you know, very, very explicit, and and mental illness as well, um, and brain damage and eclipse. Um, I hear, you know, some of the obvious musical themes. There's a lot of, we talked about a, a lot of, uh, Steve, you and I, two chords, just going back and forth between two chords. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That does happen a lot. You mentioned it too on Ben, Great Gig in the Sky. It's just two right. chords back and forth. Um, uh, it's in that aspect, it's very simple. And then this kind of um, breathe reprise, we get that three times. So we get breathe. Uh, Makes me for another day. We get that in time. We hear that again at the end of any color you like. Yeah. Um, as it leads right into uh, you know the guitar intro to brain damage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, 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 do. So, so we get we get uh, that kind of musical thread throughout it, and I think there's other more subtle uh, musical ties between the different things yeah yeah I like uh, that. um if i can if i can elaborate even on that a little bit if that's okay um do. so so specifically with those two chords that we're talking about the um it's it's uh <laughs> i didn't actually check on my guitar earlier i meant to anyway i i believe it's a d minor and then they go to a g major um for you know for uh breathe where it's you know that that back and forth there yeah and, and then the breathe reprise um and then uh but then when they get to the end of the album they actually switch it to i think it goes d major and then to g major like they they i guess that's on eclipse maybe um or is it in brain damage i can't remember now but uh they change, they change the feel of it by just by switching from a minor to a major. Yeah. Um, and it, it turns it into kind of a goofy feel almost like, oh, yeah, these guys are total lunatics, right? Like, it gives you that. <laughs> it, it really, like, subtle things like that that you can do just by what chords you're playing. Yeah. Um, uh, can, it's just so powerful with what a person will feel just by listening to that. Yeah. And that, you know, those are the things that I'm picking out in these in in this album i like that right uh i'm i'm leaning on my three-year-old right now to give just some like real nuggets of wisdom um for the doors album he said it sounded like haunted house music or or like halloween music and um for this one i love that he he said something about um when i said that it was dark side of the moon he said is this what outer space sounds like and i think um you know that's (laughs) That's something that, that like, a, <laughs> yeah. you know, a kid would say, of course. But I think in that, there's something disorienting <laughs> about this music that, that is, I think, intentionally trying to nudge you out of your comfort zone. So you you oh, hear yeah. these, like, sounds that you don't expect to be in music. And you hear these chord progressions that you don't expect to be in a, a radio song. And you hear um, melancholy lyrics mixed with, uh, you know chord progressions that that make you uneasy or edgy and i think it gives you that sense of like being out into something unknown that 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 is not uh uh necessarily a sweet spot um i think it's really powerful i think it's just not necessarily maybe 
maybe that gets to some of the reason why certain folks listen to this music and uh, they don't like that disorientation that that it makes them feel too outside of the norm yeah. and and they can't they right. can't handle being there for too long you know so so maybe yeah. we'll, we'll listen to money as a radio hit and that's enough <laughs> you know I don't want to dwell in that, in that <laughs> like space too long um, yeah. outer space is yeah. scary <laughs> <laughs> and, and vast that's <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah, it's not it's not meant to cradle you yeah. or or make you feel like you're at peace um you know it's like gazing out into the unknown that's a good analogy i like that and i think i think um if you you know if you uh listen to some of their earlier stuff too like it's it's it might even be classified as that you know i think i've seen this before they, they kind of call it like this time and space sort of rock that this band has been producing and uh you know they certainly continue that here which it was you know uh, i think of us and them in particular um it's just such a it's actually quite a contrast from what you've been listening to the whole album yeah um it it really got a dreamy uh out of this world feel to it right you know right the saxophone the especially it just feels like a you know street corner jazz player right like, very different than uh, so much of the other album the rest of the album yeah yeah well and and it actually uh, there's another contrast there uh you know the, the saxophone in particular that part by dick perry in us and them is like you say very jazz like very very mellow and and uh uh you know just uh warm right and you can contrast that with well he plays another part in uh, in money and that's just like a really, you know, hard yeah. going after you, uh, um, abrasive. It's just a total. It's like he's playing two different instruments, and and uh, yeah, very so different. You just can find that contrast within this album. Um, yet they still maintain this this sort of whole feel throughout. <laughs> Sorry, is that too geeky? <laughs> no, oh, geez. I got more of that. We're talking about every single album on a top 500 albums list. It's not too <laughs> We've already crossed over. <laughs> um, um, I, I like um, the first the first chord that we hear, note, musical sounds we hear on the album is in Breathe because Speak to Me is just kind of ambient and there's not really any uh, tones. Uh, it's that minor you talked about. Uh, I think you're right, Steve, a D minor. Um, going to the G and on the last song it's a four chord uh, minor progression that doesn't like you have to start the progression over to resolve it the last chord of the album resolves uh, to a major Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought that was interesting because that's not really like a Roger Waters thing (laughs) to (laughs) to make it kind of like everything work out and resolve and be neat and tidy and end like on a positive note uh, literally and figurative, figuratively um, but this album does and it's kind of like this total package it starts minor and it ends major and everything's fully contained it starts and ends with the heartbeat it's like it's very well crafted and i love the bookends there of, of not just the heartbeats and the sounds but also the musically we mm-hmm. start in a minor progression and then the last songs in a minor chord progression but ends resolves on that major um which is just just such a really neat touch and i really i just personally 
uh, I want chords to resolve. Um, I guess yeah. it's, it, I, I also avoid conflict <laughs> in real life. So, so I just want to always want uh, a resolution. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just another, it's just another aspect. And Ben, we've talked many times, uh, it feels like every other album we tackle on this list, someone has called it a concept album, right? This is one of the true, you know, uh, commonly accepted as a concept album. Also, the one other thing I want to add is um, they used to have uh, on Q107 Psychedelic Sunday where they only played music from the psychedelic era. And also every day they'd have the psychedelic snack. And that is usually considered uh, 1965 to 75. I've often argued that it, it ends somewhere around 1970 or 71, especially with the deaths of many key musicians at the time. I think this album, which I do not personally consider a psychedelic album, has many psychedelic elements to it. And I think this is the reason that a lot of people want to push that era because of this album. There are not many other things happening in any other albums or releases happening in the early 70s, in my opinion, that that are psychedelic. Uh, We've moved for the most part into uh, 70s hard rock or pop um, and many of the psychedelic things we hear are in the late 60s we you know for things we've heard already the doors um, yeah loves forever changes a lot of the things the Beatles were doing things like uh, the Grateful Dead and a band we haven't got to yet but Captain Beefheart and his magical band and Canned Heat and all these other kind of jam bands very psychedelic uh, I don't hear those sounds in the early 70s, but it's considered to go till 75 or sometimes you'll hear 73. And I think it's because of this album. A lot of the long kind of ambient sounds, the David Gilmore's kind of sustaining uh, guitar sounds of these notes that kind of last for four or six beats instead of just ripping through a crazy yeah. uh, solo. I heard once saying that... Uh, David Gilmore as a guitarist understood the importance of the space between the notes. You hear a lot of that on this album that he can play quickly and very well. And he's a good blues guitarist, uh, but he can also kind of stretch those things out and create these ambient soundscapes that are just beautiful. Uh, So I, I don't hear the psychedelic era going much beyond 1970. um, And Experts in the area, I'm sure, could dispute, but I think this is one of the reasons why people want to push it because there's a lot of that sound on this album. Just that kind of, I mean, I, I listen. Th- this is often also um, associated with being a very, uh, you know, a, a drug album, like one that you listen yeah. to under the influence, um, one uh, under psychedelics. Uh, I, I've never been into that, um, uh, but many times I can remember times lying flat out on my back in the living room and just putting this album on and closing my eyes just to right. kind of absorb it, relax, escape, um, not, not induced by any substance, uh, at all. Um, yeah. and just in being, getting lost in some of these sounds that can really take you away. So anyways, that's mm-hmm. my kind of take on that whole psychedelic thing. Hmm. I wonder if the, the sort of, uh, Pink Floyd laser show, kind of uh mm. culture that's grown along with it is part of the reason that it 
it's lifted up as a psychedelic album that, you know, it's been co-opted in so many different kinds of ways. I mean, I think I, if I think back to my high school memories, I, I think it was often the, uh, you know, the skids at the edge of the parking lot who were wearing the Pink Floyd shirts, the guys who you could go to if you wanted to buy marijuana. <laughs> right. So like, um, yeah. there, there is this yeah. like, sure. whether or not it actually is psychedelic music, I think that the psychedelic and drug culture has has borrowed this. I'm sure that you can get a Dark Side of the Moon um, bong very easily. You know, like <laughs> uh, you know that I think that the, this just has become synonymous, whether or not it was intended to be that way. And I wonder too, like uh, you know, I can <laughs> as I'm listening to this, I can almost hear our upbringing maybe perhaps or my parents saying like oh that's just like hippie stoner music you've got to be high to appreciate it or it's not real music or you know you know fill in the blanks with whatever cliche you want but i think sure i think when it doesn't fit the sort of expectation for what a uh a pop or rock song should sound like it almost automatically gets lumped into that like bin that no one knows what to do with which is often psychedelic or or drug induced or something like that. And um, yeah, I I think about like even something like that 70s show. um, I'm pretty sure if my memory serves me that there was a a Pink Floyd laser show episode where they all got high. Right. Like, so like, you know, even in the way that we, we tell the story about the early seventies, Pink Floyd is the soundtrack to that. And, and it goes along with how that moment in time was lived out. Yeah, I agree whether or not it's deserved too. Like I, you know, I really don't know. Hmm. I don't know if, um, you know, if they <laughs> wrote <clears throat> the album with, with that kind of in, in their heads that, that, you know, that it, Oh, you need to be on this or on that or whatever to, to really get the enjoyment out of it. But right. um, I'm going to, I'm going to say probably not because um there's there's lots of evidence to say that you know well mike you just gave your account that you are perfectly content to just put this album on lay down and close your eyes that's right you're getting full enjoyment of it right um so yes it was written in that era when that was you know drugs were were rampant um but it is a testament to the quality of this music that that Mike and Ben and you, or we can all sit here and enjoy this album without getting away. Right. right. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think, I think, I guess it just fits the cliche. And so we use it because it's easy rather than yeah. the harder work to evaluate something um, separate from the, the sort of myth or ethos that's built around it. It takes a, a really cutting edge podcast, like the sound logic podcast to really do that hard work of, of getting to, to the nitty gritty. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> For those of you who have listened to this album only peripherally, I put myself in that category. Um, please do yourself a favor and listen to it with headphones on and hopefully. Yes. Absolutely. Decent headphones. I don't think that listening to it on a stereo really captures how much they are playing with the stereo technology and the way that the sound yeah. moves um, throughout the album, really from left to right and almost kind of swirls at times. Um, 
Oh yeah. That engine, that sound engineering in itself is worth a listen. If you're not, I, I think a friend of ours who is a part of a very far too long running Facebook thread about the blue Jays, um, uh, Ryan Morby uh, commented just today that he's never listened to Dark Side and he was going to go check it out. Um, if you're in that camp and have no preconceived notions to this album, um, go check it out in whatever format you you want, but but do it with headphones on so that you can get the sort of spectrum of yeah. sound that they have built into this um, in the studio. Yeah. And and I would add to that, um, turn it up. Uh, yeah, there, right. especially in some of the quiet moments between the tracks, there's, there's still a lot happening, yeah. very subtle things as well that I think mm-hmm. adds to the experience. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Even that heartbeat to start the album. I don't think I noticed that the first couple of listens because I just had the sound turned down. Um, you, you almost mm. need to crank it up to get that. Doop, 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 that really. Well, and you, you need, off. you need to make sure that you, you've got a, a decent bass. Uh, amplifier of some kind to to pick up that yeah um you, you know you can't listen to a, a drum because that's a modified bass drum beat um and and you, you can't you can't pick that up you can't get the whole feel of it if you got to be able to feel the bass right um so yeah ben i totally agree you gotta you gotta have a decent set of headphones earbuds whatever it is you can't just listen to it off your the speaker off your phone or off your computer oh, no, uh, no. you gotta run this thing through a proper stereo system like i mean you know your 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 comment about the left to right uh perfect example is on the run right um oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> man is there some serious back and forth in there i think even with the you know something i i, I had to listen for a little more closely were the were the actual footsteps Yep, and I think they even go yeah. left to right or right to left. Yeah, right? yeah. if they're passing by down the hallway. Yeah, yep. like they, they start quiet on one side and get loud in the middle, and then move over to the. It's, yeah, it's really clever. <laughs> they've even yeah, they've even got a bit of the Doppler effect going. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's some attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's great. I think, um, you had mentioned to me, Steve, the uh the the money sounds at the beginning of money um the mm-hmm. waters created a lot of that some of it was uh throwing change into a bowl they had got yeah. an old style uh cash yep. register and were pushing buttons yep. to create yep. and then splice all these sounds in i mean this is yep. this is experimentalism you know and creativity at its finest they're just yeah and, and i think one thing we we or i forget sometimes like a lot of this technology is new at the time to be able yeah. to record sounds and put them in, like that's a new thing. Uh, and having to cut tape and put it places and, and not having to do it in the same ways anymore and make it actually sound good. This is mm-hmm. new. And so they're, they are are having a ton of fun and creating with this new technology. You know, we think of it as archaic because all we have to do is click buttons then. Yeah. Everything's done for us. It's easy. And there's still people who create new things and who do new things with that. I'm not trying to downplay creativity but then it was it was a lot more involved and intentional to physically create this sound there was much more physical happening uh and and i just love it the other top albums from 1973 you've got like um elton john's goodbye yellow brick road i think mike you already mentioned uh aladdin sane 
Stevie Wonder's Intervisions yep. comes out that same year. Band on the Run, uh, uh, Paul McCartney mm-hmm. album. A lot of albums that are great, but they're not. They're not digging into some of the technology on this album. They're not pushing beyond <laughs> sort of what is expected of uh, of a pop or a rock album in the same way that Dark Side of the Moon is. And it's innovative in a way that I don't think we fully appreciate as people who've just always had this as something we could turn to because it's always been around <laughs> for as long as we've been alive at least. All these tracks are credited to the four guys in the band. However, uh, there were other musicians on this album. We talked about uh, saxophonist Dick Perry, and there were uh, five different uh, vocal background vocalists, and one very prominent on uh, you. Ben, you talked about the meandering vocal in uh, the Great Gig in the Sky, which is the Richard Wright tune. Um, the lead vocal there is a lady uh, named Claire Tory, and in 2005 she sued Pink Floyd for a co-writing credit for that song, claiming that she wrote or helped write that line. I, I would expect that she was asked to improvise um, and create that line, and of course, you know, you come in and you're paid to do your thing, and you get paid to for your time or whatever and then you leave and then sometime later or maybe even at the time she was thinking hey i created that music you know there was nothing written out for me i'm paraphrasing of course all this but um i I doubt that richard wright you know had a line of music and handed it to her and said sing this because then there would be no contest i imagine they said sing whatever you want (laughs) or or improvise on this on this chord progression so in 2005 she uh she launched a court case and she won. So on any uh, subsequent pressings or release of this, she does get a co-writing credit on uh, oh, Great wow. Gig in the Sky. Um, yeah. which, you know, which I can imagine it would be intimidating uh, to be, you know, in the studio or even afterwards with this, you know, very well-known successful rock band. Like, who are you <laughs> to <Yeah>. say? <laughs> but uh, you know, and and maybe also we could comment on some of the politics of. Uh, musicians and maybe specifically female musicians can get taken advantage of for their talents uh, by larger bands or corporations but um you know i i can only assume that this was judged to be fair (laughs) and that she uh she got what uh what she had kind of contributed to which is nice Uh, so another interesting thing um and that just a very quick note um We've talked a lot about the music and the lyrics. I love the vocal work on this album. Some of the harmonies yeah. on uh, a, a lot of it is uh, uh, David Gilmore uh, singing. He sings lead on most of the songs, and I think the harmonies are usually his own voice. Um, but they're they're quite rich and they're quite good. And I think that's another thing that kind of wraps me up in this album is the great vocal harmonies as well. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is is actually, yeah, be, because the technology was advanced enough at the time that he was they, he was Gilmore was able to actually uh, uh, harmonize with himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, which which um, you know it's one thing for different band members that have distinct voices to be harmonizing, and that that sounds great too. But it's a totally different sound when it's it's somebody harmonizing with themselves. Yep. Uh, monotone, not monotone, but but it, it, it 
it's just a different different feel, different sound, and and it can be really be be appreciated here. Yeah, the real factor. It does well. He has a nice sounding voice, and um, absolutely. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, I think this is a good point. You know, we often ask uh, what your favorite songs are. I mean, I like all of them, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, you know, we've got a, uh, a a Spotify playlist for the Sound Logic podcast, and we usually pick. Uh, some songs to go on that um, we pick two. I think because this is a special album, we could pick one each. Um, what do you think, Ben? I, I would prefer to just let the two of you. I I feel like this is a far more significant album to both of you than it is to me. And so I graciously okay. let let go of mine and let you guys each pick one. Well, I pick I pick side one. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Steve will pick side too. That's harder for me to add to the playlist. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next one. Uh, uh, it's a tough one because there are obvious, you know, popular songs that are easy to listen to, and there are other ones that, um, you know, that that are maybe not as. Uh, as easily consumed, but are so good. I think, oh, oh this is tough. Yeah. There's so many that I love. I am going to pick, I'm because it's memorable to me, I'm going to pick the first one I remember, which is Us and Them. And that, <laughs> that, that will be my choice. Um, there are so many great tunes on this album and ones that have great, are very catchy. Us and Them to me, uh, Musically, lyrically, I, I'm a saxophone player, so I, I always love the solo in this. Um, all the all the rich vocal harmonies, all the the women singing background, uh, the the lyrics. This is one of the more political songs, I think, on the album. Uh, speaking about wealth and war and conflict and different uh, social structures, um, it's it's a it's a good track. So that's my pick. Okay, well, Mike. Um... Uh, that was that was what I thought you would pick, um, and, and I totally get it because I was. If you didn't say that, honestly, I probably would have. Okay. Um, so, seeing that you did say that, um, I will say that that is my one, and I'm going to give you my one A. How about that? Sure. Um, nice. Let's go. Probably for me, the one A would would probably have to be. I'm going to go with the great gig in the sky. Oh, um, just like. Okay, you know, I've already kind of made it clear that I'm not really a lyrics guy. Uh, <laughs> so this song is right up my alley because I don't have to listen to those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth because I just lauded David Gilmore's ability to harmonize with himself. But anyway, um, Drinking in the Sky, I think I just really love that it's, it's featuring this very, uh, very simple piano. Um, and, and I think my favorite part about it, uh, like Claire Torrey's vocal is unbelievable and just so passionate, but I just love, uh, um, the, the piano solo in the middle of this song. It's, uh, it's just so, so satisfying for me, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, and it, in this song sort of, uh, encapsulates the, the, the sort of this theme a chord progression, right? Of, of that I sort of picked out of this album, uh, that of that minor chord going to that major, 
and and doing it all throughout with this piano and and just getting lost in that sound in that progression and in that whole feeling and uh and then yeah and then the vocal to to top it off uh how can you not be just taken by that i i, I guess ben I, I remember you were saying earlier that your your two sides on that one almost right. um uh on one side you were i think you were saying that you know like okay that's that's a little bit over the top but in fact another side note here i read that claire tory was kind of embarrassed after after you know they recorded her uh, a few takes on this and she came out of the 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 room the recording room and and was surprised to see that the band was just totally delighted with with what she had done so she was taken aback she thought she had gone over the top but this this is but turns out this is exactly what the band wanted um <laughs> and and we're sort of hoping for so wow. yeah i'm gonna go with this with that song for uh, my choice i guess well they're both added i think that would have been one of my least favorites but i'm i'm glad that you uh you filled me in on why steve because i think that gives me a new appreciation yeah. for it and i'll listen to it with different ears good no, i'm glad on, so i'm glad yeah. One, one thing that we glossed over uh, that we missed, and I just wanted to, I, I mean, I could probably do this a hundred more times, but um, throughout this album, there are a lot of little uh, snippets of interviews that they had. And Great Gig in the Sky has a number of those, and it touches on the theme. They interviewed a bunch of different people. And, and Steve, I want you to, to jump in here uh, because, uh, you know, Great Gig in the Sky uh, is the title of the song. And I think that kind of, uh, alludes to, you know, uh, heaven or death or kind of the afterlife. So different ideas we could kind of, you could kind of make that your own thing. Um, and one of the snippets is of, um, of, a of a man saying, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to die. I, I, why should I be, um, yeah. uh, Steve, who was that again? Who said that? Yeah. So, uh, uh, I'm trying to find it here, but I, I'm pretty sure it was the Abbey Road doorman. Right. Yes, the doorman at Abbey Road. That's right. Wow. I got to find his name here, but, but yeah. So, so they, um, the band interviewed uh, a bunch of just the staff at the studio and and just some not not necessarily random people, but kind of um, just asking them sort of pointed questions. They started off with, with some just general questions and then got a little more pointed in terms of, um, you know, uh, going mad and, and, and dying and stuff like that. And that's where you got these, these, uh, responses from. And some of them were, were very genuine. I think this was a very, it's certainly, certainly sounds very sincere. This, this guy's sort of response to this, uh, this question he's been asked and, and man, is it ever effective? Yeah, yeah. Just thinking about you know, kind of the great gig in the sky. Everyone kind of singing, playing, and he, he says, "I'm not afraid to die." You know, why should I be? We've mm-hmm. all got to die sometime. You know, it's a, just a very, <laughs> a very kind of candid response to it. Uh, there's there's other ones. There's uh, one that gets repeated on a few different tracks. Um, I can't tell. I was very drunk at the time. You know, I can't remember who. Yeah. That's right. That was um, and and different uh, different uh, kind of you know maniacal laughter on yep. different different times certainly in um, uh, brain damage and even in the the opening speak to me uh, that was uh, that was the band's road manager Peter Watts apparently 
That's what it says here. It's it's so so yeah. that's, a, a, again, another example of, of all the different splicing and, and piecing together they did of all these different sounds. Um, we talked about the the money uh, and the change at the beginning of money. Uh, we didn't talk about all the all the chimes and clocks at the beginning of time. Yeah, that was weird very... to be hiking, uh, jogging around the neighborhood and have those clocks go off. That was uh, quite, something, <laughs> quite something tonight. Um, the there's like a, a TikTok at the beginning. I, I went and saw. I don't know if you've seen this show, Steve. A number of years ago, there's a there's a show that goes through Canada called uh, Comfortably Numb, and it's a Pink Floyd tribute show. And uh, we saw it at the Opera House when they did Time. That TikTok uh, was the basis muting his strings and plucking. Uh, really the strings just so that that goes to the the whole first part like until the full band comes in Um, so he's just doing that for like three minutes straight (laughs) Um, so that was i'm not i don't think that's what it is on the recording i think it's something else Um, yeah yeah but uh but yeah that was kind of cool anyways uh yeah i die i digress once again but 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 like I, like I said at the beginning, then uh, there are so many different facets to this album and its creation that you we really could talk for hours and hours and hours. But. Yeah, well, we sure could. Yeah, right. On on uh, you know talking specifics with with songs with these uh, recorded sounds like the you know back to that money, um, the intro to money. Uh, <laughs> I I think it's amazing that you know it's not just that they recorded these sounds and just sort of threw them in it's that they actually managed to splice them in in time on a song that's in seven four time oh yeah that's right <laughs> okay like and, and i think i remember reading something that that money okay obviously it was an, it was a single probably the only single in seven four time right can you think yeah. of any others uh no can you think of any other songs on the radio in seven four time the only one that I thought of, and it switches back and forth, is the ocean by uh, right, and, it, and that alternates between seven, seven eight, and eight. Four, yeah. I think. So, uh, and and that's another wow, that's another group for another discussion. But, <laughs> yeah, um, but no, I mean, just they had these these plots that that I think one of their producers or somebody affiliated with the band actually went into an antique clock store, recorded these clock sounds. No, that's talking about time now, isn't it? We're talking about money. Sorry, man, I'm getting off track. <laughs> Literally. Um, oh boy. Yeah, you know, Roger Waters had recorded the, the, a lot of the sounds at the beginning of time, but they but they managed to put them in time as the lead in. Oh yeah. You know, for when that bass first comes in with that do 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 do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just that attention to detail, right? It's phenomenal. And in an era when they're not sitting in front of a computer to make these uh no, exactly. like no, you can't just now you could do it yeah. fairly easily, but with a four track or eight track or whatever they were using, it would have it would have taken some significant you gotta, time. You better know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Now that we're on the topic of Roger Waters bass, nice segue there. Like I love that he's kind of got this whole um through kind of throughout the album he's got this either he's doing octaves or he's doing uh perfect fifths right 
Yeah. Um, and, and and so so like money, he's doing that. Do 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 do. That that's a that's an octave. Then the fifth, the fifth, right? Yeah. And he does in us and them. He's doing do do do. So that's you know going to the fifth there. It's kind of like even just in his bass lines throughout the album, he's he's maintaining this this sort of uh, uh, bass line theme, I guess mm. almost. Yeah, he does he does it in time. Do yep. do. Do, 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 yeah, yeah. He just—it's—it's it's kind of—it's very repetitive, but very effective. I think. You know what's funny? At the beginning of time, when they all have to come in together, some of them—they're not quite on time. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Listen closely. Oh, I, 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 I will. Ah, you weren't right. You weren't. You weren't quite right there. <laughs> oh no. That's yeah. Funny. Sorry, but I mean that just—that uh, just adds to the. Uh, experience I've, i'll have to listen to that i've, I've never <laughs> i've never noticed that it's so <laughs> sorry <laughs> have i i have not done this and i feel like i should have at some point but i've never sat down and done it have any of you watched the uh mashup of wizard of oz with the sound turned off and dark side of the moon on it's it's referred you can watch it on youtube it's called dark side of the rainbow have not. Uh, I've heard about this. I have not. I have not done that myself. The 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 idea is that you know there there are theories that they created the album to sync up with uh, Wizard of Oz, and there are you can look at lists of things where the the lyrics or the music syncs up with what's happening in the movie. And so uh, I would if you if you're interested, I would, I would encourage you to go do that. I, I know that you know right at the very beginning in um uh, breathe when he says the damage done at the moment he says done is when um the one guy hits his thumb with a hammer you know and there's there's different things we could say that it's all kind of you know it's forced uh, what do you call that forced um perception mm. or once you suggest something that we believe it's true but mm-hmm. but there are many people who have uh <laughs> who have spent a lot of time on it so but that's another kind of popular uh mm. thing that has been kind of floating around there for a while dark side of the rainbow check it out interesting with the google <laughs> <laughs> i i will say though on the tracks uh all 10 tracks have their own separate wikipedia page which is not something we see even on these so-called greatest albums of all time often mm. uh you know mm. the, the the music experts on wikipedia will highlight a few of their favorites and give them their own page, especially if they were a single. But for whatever reason, these 10 tracks uh, all get their own page <laughs> uh, on Wikipedia that you can go oh, into yeah. more depth on, which is which is fascinating. So I guess if uh, I'm adding that just to say, if you are someone who's going down the wormhole, or what did you call it early on, Micah, <laughs> the falling down the rabbit hole of uh, Dark Side of the Moon, you really can go into lots of different uh, angles and avenues here. Um, if you if you so choose. So one of the questions we'd like to ask, you know, this album from 1973, uh, is it still relevant? Um, ben, I'd like you to start because you alluded earlier that you know this you had some challenges with this album. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can kind of wrap that together kind of your personal feelings about the album as whole and how you think it stands 
today as kind of a relevant album. I will say this is definitely a great album, but I think I understand why it is here at number 43 and not higher. Uh, and I think it's because of what we talked about early on in that Dark Side of the Moon requires the listener to engage it in a different kind of way than most of the albums that we've tackled so far. Um, and I can't quite decide what that means for its relevancy. This requires you to be a little bit smarter, uh, a little bit more aware of things like time signature and song construction and sound landscaping and sound engineering. And I think, you know, I think it's a, it's a music nerds album. And, and so I think it's very relevant if you care deeply about how music is created and constructed and put together and how albums are created and constructed and put together. It feels less relevant to me if you are into music just for, your, for sort of pure enjoyment's sake. Um, and I, I think the line there between those two things is, is pretty fuzzy. Uh, I, and, and so I, I struggle with this question specifically. Um, it doesn't sound as dated as I think I was assuming it would before going deeper in this, hmm. in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and often that I think Mike, you and I have have noticed, I think, a, a recurring theme that, that often we have a harder time saying something is relevant when it feels dated. This, to me, doesn't feel all that dated, and yet I struggle with this relevancy um, piece because of how unique this this album feels. Um, I'll start with there, and, and the two of you can tell me why I'm wrong on all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I really like that answer uh, a lot. I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head uh, if you're not very interested in really absorbing yourself in music or in any album or band in particular, then this probably isn't for you. Yet I would say there's a really good balance in this album where you can listen to money and time and just kind of bop along and be totally happy with that. And it's there for you. And if you want to dig deeper and really absorb yourself, there's stuff like Great Gig in the Sky and uh, something a little more psychedelic like uh, Any Color You Like. Uh, there's stuff there for you too. So I think there's a good balance. Um, I I would say that s some of the sounds are rather dated and, and some of the, the ambient kind of tunes and something like um, um, On the Run it does sound a little dated in the in the way that it's composed and executed in terms of just relevancy today i mean music is changing rapidly i think in the last 5 years um popular music i think for if you are at all interested in rock um i think it's very much still relevant uh, certainly the hits are just a classic rock and roll sound mm. that any rock fan can get behind. I think it's still relevant. I think it is slightly dated uh, in some of the sounds, some of the production, yet so well executed that it obviously has held up the test of time. Yeah, I, I think I would. Uh, I think I would echo that, Mike. Um, I get it that. Yes, yeah, some of the techniques, some of the sounds that are, are used here are are kind of old fashioned a little bit, but I would say it is still relevant for sure. Especially like you say, you know, for, for the, the, the rock 
Connoisseur. Um, you know, the, these are the these are the albums that that kind of pioneered uh, rock and roll, so, so to speak. Like, I mean, not not you know that that's not going back to the fifties and sixties, really. You know, when when some of the rock and roll first started coming out, but but you know the the true um, um, creative uh, geniuses behind some of these rock and roll sounds. I think you really have to appreciate that, and and I think because because these guys were were the, the some of the first to to create music like this, and and nobody's kind of you know you know they're they're their own unique sound, right? You know, yeah. there's there's nobody making music like them. No, uh, um, I think you really have to appreciate that. That I think that makes them relevant still. This album for sure. Uh, you know, with with that in mind, but yeah, Ben, I know, I mean, I know what you're saying. Um, I, I guess, yeah, if, if you're if you're the kind of guy that's listening to music just for some, you know, uppity kind of, you know, just some some nice fast moving beats, right, to to jog to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this album's maybe not for you, probably. Um, but, I mean, you look at look at the the Rolling Stone top five hundred. Well, who are the people that are ranking these albums? Uh, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of sort of intellectual music, yeah, intellectual music yeah, uh, right. people, right? Like, so I find it interesting that um, they do rank it where they do, given that they're not your typical audience, right? Mm-hmm. They're 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 sort of more. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm way off base on this, but you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, and I'm definitely, definitely biased on my end here. I would, I would totally rank this higher, but you know, that's not to take away from any of the albums that came before it, but it is interesting that the, you know, this was reviewed by some pretty, pretty big musical people, right? People in the music industry that, that have come up with this list and, and rank this where it, where they did. Yeah. Um, hey, what's wrong with them, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that you, Steve, you've segued us into the next uh, portion here, which was, uh, was this position on the list sound logic. You've mm-hmm. clearly said that you don't think <laughs> it was, <laughs> that it should have been higher. Um, hey. I, I would agree with you. Um, I don't understand, and I know that there was a voting system and points, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, uh, a lot of the people who voted, you know, grew up in this era, in the 60s, grew up with this music, were music professionals and critics in this time. Given where they're from and the vast success of this album, the longevity of it, the you know record after record that they've set with the Billboard list and all sorts of other things, I don't understand how it doesn't crack at very least the top 20, if not the yeah. top 10. That yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. Ben, you said earlier that you understand why it's not, why it's at 43. Would you care to elaborate on that? I, I mean, I think it's because of the way it's constructed. It it is a concept album that requires more of the listener. It only has the two singles um, and they're not traditional kinds of singles. It's not an album like thriller where, you know, every song makes you like jump up and dance. And, uh, and so I think, 
you know, it's a it's a it's a nerdy top ten choice. It's not a populist top ten choice. I I pause when I say that because it's sold a you know millions of copies. So there's clearly people out there that ab- absolutely love this despite its quirkiness. Um, I I think this is we're getting into the the point in the list where I think. I could see this going a lot higher, but I understand why it's here. I think there have been a number of albums that we have already reviewed that I think are much worse <laughs> than than this album, and it deserves to be above them. <laughs> at least mm. one higher, and you know mm. we're probably at the point where we could start saying at least five higher or something like that. Um, <laughs> but I think there's also going to be albums that come after it that, in my mind at least, would make more sense to be placed above this album for their popularity, their, their radio play, their, um, their accessibility. Maybe that's the thing that, that mm. really makes me pause the most. The, I just can't, I can't see a generic music fan listening to a nine minute sort of jam session and think like, this is what greatness is. I think it takes, someone with a musical background to really appreciate some of what we're hearing on this album. Um, And so I, I think that's why it gets put at the number 43 spot and not in the top 10 or top 20. I, as someone who, who does love to get nerdy, I could put it up that high. Uh, I think it would easily make my top 20 of the albums we've listened to so far. Um, But I, but I think it's not for everyone. Maybe, and maybe quite simply it's, it's, it's the uh, polarizing effect of Pink Floyd that you're going to get some diehards who absolutely love it. And some people who are like, what the hell is this? Like, why, why should I think this is great? Um, Which doesn't happen in the same way for a Beatles album where, you know, you know, one's one time through the chorus and it's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I, I think that there would be some Pink Floyd fans who would hear all that that I've just said and and have said like, well, great, we don't want to be top ten. You know, like <laughs> like if that's what top ten is, <laughs> uh, you know, we're fine being uh, a little bit more obscure, a little bit more nuanced because that's not what they were. Clearly, that's not what they were going for here. They were not going for uh, radio playability hit things like that. Um, yeah. I don't know. That feels long-winded, but I think that's why I would say I understand why it's at 43 and why it's not in the top 10. Um, But personally, I think I could see it go higher and especially based on what we've already gone through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, it, it it definitely brings to question, you know, what, what are the, the the particular criteria uh, when, when, people were voting on these albums uh, and I'm sure you guys, you know, every episode you're going to be talking about that, but mm-hmm. evidently, you know, popularity among the masses is, is important and radio play. But, but then on the flip side though, and you, you said this already Ben. you know, if it's one of the most highly uh, sold albums of all time, right? it is popular. Uh, I, I find that there's, there's, there's a weird, sort of dichotomy there um that that doesn't really add up in my mind yeah 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 i i would agree and i I would look to you said you know you can understand the catchiness of of like a beatles album and why that's top 10 but 
I'm thinking to album number 13, uh, Velvet Underground. You said that, you know, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon is a stretch to listen to. Do you, do you know a lot of people who could sit through all of uh, Velvet Underground and Nico? <laughs> I mean, it's very challenging, Absolutely. extremely challenging and not, yep. ca- and not catchy. Yep. And although it's said to be inspirational, was not successful. Right. And uh, I, I struggle with the the differences between why that and and there was a lot we talked about a lot of reasons why it would be there at number 13 but why that takes 13 and this is 43 and this is ranked three albums lower than an album that that no one's ever even heard of uh, yeah. which was forever changes by love like right. it is not not even sold a million to this day and i can't find anybody except for jason crane uh, who who has heard of it before? Absolutely. Uh, so it's just yeah. uh, it's 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 again one of the challenges with this list. I'm I'm glad we have this list, and it certainly is fun to talk through. But boy, it's frustrating sometimes. And, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. Um and and I just I just struggle with a lot of things. But this placement to me just seems way out of whack. Um, not sound logic. You know, it's not. Like, you know, I don't mind off by. I don't mind off by two or three, uh, but this seems to be off by like 20. Least. Yeah, I, for sure. In yeah. Colin Larkin's, uh, we talked about Colin Larkin's uh, 1000 greatest albums of all time. This is ranked number nine. Um, and although that's more uh, British centric, if, if I can just create that term right now, um, <laughs> uh, it seems to be more appropriate. Yeah. Um, you know, they didn't put it yeah. number one just because they could. It's number nine, but I mean, it seems more appropriate. There's still, you know, Beatles albums ahead of it. So it's it jives with a lot of the other things, but it's uh, it seems to make more sense. Uh, anyways, that's my that's my two cents. I'm, yeah, I, I don't want to be arguing against that. Like, I, I mean, I think you I thought Velvet Underground deserved to go lower. And I think this deserves to go higher. So I, I think we're in agreement there. Um, okay. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I guess I, when I say I understand why it's here, I'm not saying that it shouldn't go higher. <laughs> I, I think I'm just saying I I, <laughs> okay. I think I understand why the voting may have placed it here as opposed. I have no sense of why Velvet Underground is as high as it is or uh, some of the other albums that we've, that we've tackled mm. as well. Um, and I think, sure. and I'm, and I'm facing the same perplexed feelings here too. Like really 43 does seem somewhat low for, for even, even a quirky album like this, um, especially given its popularity too. So, yeah, well, I mean, we're talking about the, the top 500 yeah. rock albums of all time, right? Yeah. Uh, Pink Floyd, this is Pink Floyd's first entry on the list. Yeah. 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 It's the first appearance of Pink Floyd. Yep. Yep. Pink Floyd. Yep. In the top 500. It's the first appearance. Pink Floyd. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> emphasizing that point, right? Right. Yep. That's an injustice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, bud. Grab the pitchforks, yep. grab the torches. <laughs> Let's burn it all down. <laughs> oh, I got them. I'm ready to go. It's, uh, it's perplexing. Um, and, and you bringing that up, uh, I think this is a good point to mention. There are other entries by Pink Floyd on this list. Uh, three other entries to be exact. Uh, number eighty-seven. Uh, we've got the wall. Eighty-seven. That, that feels much too low. And uh, and and I think we're going to say that again. Two hundred eleven. We get 
finally get wish you were here which again seems <laughs> ridiculous um yeah uh and 347 we get the piper at the gates of dawn i believe that's their debut um yeah which again like a lot of their early stuff was very psychedelic so we don't we don't yeah. get uh animals or metal or anything like that mm. so there are challenges with this list um and of course that's mm. certainly you and i steve as big pink floyd fans are gonna <laughs> take issue with with that but um that's how the cookie crumbles as they say (laughs) (laughs) we're out of time (laughs) well and out of cookies i could use a cookie now (laughs) (laughs) ben your example of the beatles being so radio friendly um and and this is not not to take away from the beatles at all uh, uh because i think they were um while being radio friendly, they were also very, very creative and, and unique as well. Mm-hmm. And, and their songwriting ability was incredible. But uh, there's a lot of covers of Beatles songs that probably a lot of people would enjoy listening to. Mm-hmm. But when you when you start talking about some of these more, um, hmm, what's the term for this? Uh, what did you say, Ben? You said um, kind of more with a geeky music. Yeah. Or whatever, whatever, you want, whatever, whatever term you want to use it for. Um, I just don't. It's not really cover material, right. I guess, in my mind. Right. A lot Especially of it isn't. You've only got the two singles, and those two singles are are so unique yes. anyway, yes. and and kind of different that you you still can't really do them justice by trying to cover them, like. I just, it's almost, it's almost wrong. I think it, it feels very similar to trying to pull a song off this album. Like the, the whole thing needs to be taken as a whole. So if you were going to make a cover, yeah. you would have to cover the entire album, right? Like <laughs> it would have right. to be your concept right. of Pink Floyd's <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon. And exactly. um, yeah, agree. Yeah. I think, I think that's why we don't immediately think about, uh, covers that we appreciate or, or come to mind and yeah i think that's that's something yeah. about the the special nature of what we've got here in front of us um yeah yeah great point yeah yeah totally so uh selfishly there's a pink floyd cover band called the machine that's coming to town uh in early april i'm curious if you guys think i should go or if you want to drive down six hours and join me for uh, mm. uh, a cover band's tribute uh, here in, in state college. Um, let me know your, really? let me know your thoughts. <laughs> wow. What's the date? Saturday, April 4th. Okay. Just let me put it in my calendar. here. <laughs> uh, you, you said you'd seen a cover band before. Has that felt um, like, like Steve sort of said, like why bother covering it? Um, did, did it feel like an enjoyable experience to, to watch a cover band try and tackle some of these things? There there are, I have heard of a few different uh, cover, really Pink Floyd shows because um, there's, there's a group in Toronto and, and I, and this is, or the GTA, I'll say the band I saw was not part of this group, but there's a group called classic albums live, okay. um, which does as, as they say, note for note, cut for cut. So they will reproduce live albums to be almost identical so they're not really trying to like when i think of a cover it's usually you know a a band doing a song but also putting their own flavor into it 
the show I saw was was not that. It was it was a a band, you know, trying to do a show uh, as close to the original as possible, so that you can experience. You know, we're never gonna like we, you know, in the last thirty years, you could have gone and seen the Stones, or you could have gone and see ACDC. Uh, you can't see. You, couldn't have seen Pink Floyd since, you know, 1980, really, right. uh, not the original members. So mm-hmm. um, I think trying to reproduce that that live experience as closely as possible, I guess the best word is replicate. I wasn't getting the sense of, you know, the, the personalities of the musicians there. They mm-hmm. weren't trying to kind of put their own flavor into it, in my mind. To say you can't cover it, I, I don't think some of these shows I've heard of and there's other there's other like there's a show called Musical Box it does all Genesis and and there's there's lots of different shows and I'll call them shows cuz really they're trying to to replicate it um I really enjoyed it and especially because knowing I'm never going to hear Pink Floyd live like I'm never going to see them right. yeah. uh, it's impossible certainly now and even at the time uh was, was likely impossible uh it it was fantastic and it was very well done it it felt very the word I think is very serious. Like it wasn't like we were there to kind of laugh about and, and, you know, jump around and, and joke. It was like, we're here to study this music and we're going to do, we're going to do it <laughs> perfectly exactly the way Pink Floyd created. It. And it was like kind of this kind of more serious feel. Um, very enjoyable. They did a lot of, they didn't do, you know, one particular album. They did lots of songs. And it was at the opera house, which is a relatively small venue in Toronto. Um, so it was it was good it was very good i enjoyed it a lot cool. I, I would do that again if another group was coming through and and made sense for me to go i'd definitely go see it again cool i think i can be on board with that for sure <laughs> yeah you know, where they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna if you say they they approached it with the the sort of the level of intensity and seriousness that yeah. yeah you seem yeah. to allude to then yeah if, you, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna really attempt to do it justice then absolutely yeah, oh yeah I can respect that for sure. But if you're, if you're just going to try and rip a, you know, a cover just for a radio hit, I, I don't have respect for that. I don't think. Or patience or time. <laughs> <laughs> or money. I'll be on the run for sure. I think the, the original would just eclipse any uh effort yeah that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i'll have brain damage after this <laughs> it doesn't the covers don't really speak to me <laughs> breathe my yeah that's bad taste yeah hey when you're when you're making new music you just kind of you just choose any color you like <laughs> and after it's all done you go to the great gig in the sky <laughs> i think that's all 10 Tipper. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Sound Logic podcast. Uh, it's been a great journey. <laughs> Amen. Um, well said. <laughs> who, who knows what we'll do next? Yep. <laughs> oh, wait. We have to do more albums? We're going to do number 44. Uh, yeah. So if you're interested uh, in being a co host for the Sound Logic podcast, uh, I may need a new one here coming up for album number 44, which is Horses by Patti Smith. Um, might just be Ben flying solo on this one, but uh, uh, we'll see. Um. Four four hundred and fifty six more albums to go, bud. Yeah, yeah, you can do. I it. hope you come back for one or two of them. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, well, guys, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. Dare I say, epic. 
Uh, yeah. And Steve, thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's what a pleasure just to the three of us to get together and chat and just to hear your, you know, your passion uh, for this, for this wonderful album. Yeah. Well, and, and again, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, including me in this. Uh, it was a lot of fun and I, I hope, I hope I was able to articulate my particular passion for this, this group yeah. in, in particular and, and certainly the album and, and their, their style of music and, and what they bring to the table for listeners. So thank you. I think my favorite episodes have been the ones where we get to the end and I think, Oh man, I got to put that album back on again. And this is definitely one of those times where I feel uh, right. not just like relief that we have finished that and can move on to the next one, but a sense of like, Oh, there's something there that I missed. I need to go back and give it another listen. So um, thank you both for, for bringing your enthusiasm and passion and woohoo. Nice. <laughs> <sighs> yeah part uh half my brain wants to go to bed and half my brain wants to put on dark side <laughs> well just put on us and, and you accomplish both yeah that's a good point right fall asleep to us and them right. i think that's a good idea perfect yeah don't okay. fall asleep to on the run <laughs> no <laughs> especially while driving <laughs> you might not sleep well. <laughs> well usually we end them by saying thanks a lot guys for the conversation Thanks for listening at home, and till then, take care of yourselves. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.